Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. You know, life can be such a grind at times, and so we're here sharing God's Word with you to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the host of the Grind It Podcast, the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to finish up Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, in, in the last podcast, it, it got pretty heavy because of the stern warning that the author has given his readers about turning away from God and, and leaving Jesus and going back into Judaism and, and how if they do that, he just says you're, you're just in danger. And you can go back and listen to that podcast if you haven't had a chance to do so. But today, I want to move on from that and, and talk about how... Um, the Hebrew author, he is continuing to encourage his readers to keep on following Jesus and to continue to be useful for his kingdom. He has reinforced some of the things that they're doing well, that they're loving well, that they're serving others well, they're meeting people's needs. And so he's building up their confidence to continue with Jesus because confidence is one of the things that they are lacking because of this persecution that they have been facing and are facing. And so they're kind of slacking off a little bit and they're fading away and, 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 and maybe they're not continuing to love people like they were or, or uh, meet people's needs. They're, they're just kind of sliding back, if you will. Uh, we call it backsliding in the church. But they were, um, they were leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism to try and serve God through Judaism. And, and, and so he is reinforcing them the things that they do well to encourage them and to give them confidence that they need to continue with Jesus. And he's telling them, look, God, you got to keep doing this until the very end, until you cross that finish line and you take your last breath on this earth and you cross over into eternity. Because if you quit now and you don't finish the race, you're in a, a dangerous situation. And so he's encouraging them to stay with Jesus, to stick it out, and to, and to keep loving, and to, and to keep serving, to keep meeting people's needs, to keep showing the example of Jesus and, until they take their last breath and cross over into eternity. So to finish up chapter 6, the author gives the readers an example of someone who has received promises from God, and this person was patient. This person endured, and this person received the promises that had been given to him by God because he did not give up. And, it, and, and it's a great example for these Jewish Christians because it's somebody that they had so much respect for because he is the father of the Jewish nation, and that is Abraham. The author gives the example of God's promises to Abraham and how Abraham was patient and his patience paid off when he finally did receive God's promises. Here's what the Hebrew author says to finish up chapter 6. He says, For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. 
God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So what exactly, if he's going to use this example of Abraham for these Jewish Christians who were being persecuted, who were are beginning, to, their faith is beginning to fade, and they're leaving Jesus, and they're going back into Ju- Judaism. Why would he choose Abraham and God's promise to Abraham, and Abraham receiving God's promise? Why would he use Abraham in, 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 for an example to these people to encourage them to not give up on Jesus, but to keep loving and to keep? Uh, meeting people's needs until they take their last breath. Well, I want to take a look at, 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 at what exactly is God's promise to Abraham. Then we'll understand why he would use this awesome example. Uh, we're introduced to Abraham, and he's going to be called Abram at first. Uh, and then his name gets changed to Abraham later on. But when when we read Abram, it, it is the same person. Abraham. Uh, And we're introduced to Abraham in Genesis 11 when his dad takes him and his wife Sarah and they move to Haram, which is uh, today it's modern day Turkey. And this is interesting because Terah, who is Abram's dad or Abraham's dad, he was leaving Ur and Ur was a a pagan city. And, And he leaves this pagan city and he was actually his goal was to get to Canaan, which is interesting to me because Canaan is the, well, it would become the promised land from God to the Hebrew people. But for some reason, Terah didn't make it to Canaan. He stopped and he settled in Haran. And in Genesis 12, we see God calling to Abram and giving him his promises. This is what God told Abram or Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now let's break that down just for a second. Here's what God tells Abram or Abraham. He says, I want you to leave. And and you got to remember, Abram or Abraham, he's not familiar with God. God just chooses Abraham out of of nowhere. And he comes to this man who has left Ur with his family. He's been living with his his dad, Terah. His dad has probably passed, passed away at this point. And God says, this God that he doesn't know any anything about, God just shows up to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave what you are comfortable with. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go to a place that you've never been to before. Matter of fact, you don't even know how to get there. But here's the deal. I'm going to show you where that place is 
once you get there. In other words, you're going to have to trust me, Abraham, and it's going to take a ton, a absolute ton of faith. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to bless all those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who treat you with contempt. And all, all means all, all of the families on earth will be blessed through you. And my question is, why and how? Why would all the families on the earth be blessed through you? It's because Jesus, the Messiah, would be born from the lineage of Abraham. It all started with Abraham and his obedience and his faith to God. It all started with Abraham, that all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And, and uh, when, when the genealogies of Jesus are traced back, they, they are traced to Abraham and beyond. But what I want to do is, uh, I found a, an article uh, from Christianity.com that pretty much sums up what's going on between Abraham and God and these promises and how God came, Abraham was faithful and God was faithful to Abraham and he was able to see the promises of God uh, come true. And this is what, uh, this is how Christianity.com breaks this down. It says, this was an incredible promise. Setting into motion the greatest testimony of God's sovereignty and providence the world has ever seen. What came next is the unfolding and expanding of such a promise throughout the remaining chapters and books of Scripture. What we see here was just a glimpse. And then they're going to talk about God's promise revealed. It says, Hebrews 11.8 says it was by faith Abraham obeyed the call to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, not even knowing where he was going. And as he went, God slowly revealed more and more details with each step of faith. It's the same thing that he does in our lives. For instance, once Abraham arrived in the land of Canaan after walking what was probably more than a thousand miles, God appeared to, to say, to your offspring I will give this land, Genesis 12, verse 7. Abraham's promise was then later repeated in greater detail when the Lord said, Look around from where you are to north and to south, to east and to west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And this is a man who has no children. And he's getting up in years. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Genesis 13, 14 through 17. The original promise of land and blessing started to come into focus as the Lord refers to Abraham's offspring for the first time. Only one problem. Abraham was now 85 years old with no children of his own and married to a woman who was herself unable to have children. You see where that faith comes into to, to practice here? God gives Abraham these promises. Abraham is getting old and his wife has no children and can't bear children. 
Then he says, This is why Abraham had assumed that any heir or offspring would come through his servant, Genesis 15, 3. He was only getting older, after all. But the Lord had said had something else in mind, adding yet another layer to the promise. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood and will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. That's Genesis 15, 4 through 5. Possibly unsure of how this would happen, or maybe even growing a bit impatient, it didn't take long for Abraham and his wife to take matters into their own hands. This resulted in Sarah's female servant becoming pregnant with Abraham's first child, Ishmael. Genesis 16, 3 and 4. As awkward as it sounds, this was an unusual behavior for the ancient Near East. A maidservant often carried a child for the family's sake. However, this child was not the descendant promised to Abraham. And boy, did that ever start a feud that still goes on to this day between Isaac and Ishmael and his, their descendants. God makes that clear 13 years later when the promise is seen once again in Genesis 17. That's when God makes the covenant with Abraham. He says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you, after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Man, that's some serious promises going on from God to Abraham, and 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 Abraham not having any children uh, of his own between he and and Sarah. He's thinking he he's going to have this 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 kid that I'm having with Hagar, uh, Sarah's ser- maidservant, is going to be the one that God's going to use. But see that that's man's plan. That's not God's plan. And, and there's great lessons in that. I was, I, the Old Testament is, is just full of awesome, awesome lessons. But God said, that's, that's, that's your plan. That's Sarah's plan. That's man's plan. I have my own plan. And your wife will bear a son. And if you remember, if you if you ever read the story about Abraham and, and, and Sarah and Isaac, they laughed. I mean, they literally laughed in the face of God. And God, the angel called them out. Why are you laughing? And Sarah said, I ain't laughing. And, 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 and God gets the last laugh because the name Isaac was given to the child. And Isaac means he who laughs. So going back to, to the story and the promises. So you see the promises are growing. And it's taking this great faith of Abraham to trust and, and believe in this God who is offering these, these, these promises. A, a, a God that he has never met before. That he... That he's leaving everything behind. He's leaving his family. He he's leaving his possessions to follow some God to some land that he doesn't even know where he's going. And this God is promising him all this stuff, and he has no children at the at the time of the promises as they come. And now God is saying, I, you're, I, "I'm giving you this land. It's going to be a possession for all your offspring. Kings are going to be coming from you. Uh, it's going to be an everlasting possession. I'm going to be their God." And he's talking about the Hebrew people. But Abraham didn't know that. And so it would take such faith from Abraham and put in his trust in this God that he barely knew. But he did it. Then this guy in, in this article, 
from Christianity.com says, The Lord then promises that this nation and its kings will come from a future child born to Sarah, not the boy born to the maidservant. Just one more piece to the glorious puzzle that the Lord was building, promise upon promise, generation after generation. A promise repeated to the actual son of promise, Isaac, born to Abraham at 100 years old, by the way, in Genesis 26, 3-5. And again to his grandson, Jacob, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And so this promise was also offered not only to Abraham, but it's also offered to Isaac. Then it's also offered to Jacob in Genesis 28, 13-14. It's repeated again to future generations as the Lord led this family each step of the way until the promise was fulfilled. And so the, the author is going to switch gears now and talk about God's promise fulfilled. They said, while Abraham ended up having two sons, It was his son Isaac who fathered Jacob, and Jacob who fathered twelve sons of his own. These twelve sons grew to become the twelve tribes of Israel. And you may remember the the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. Joseph had twelve brothers. Those twelve brothers are or become the twelve tribes of Israel. And they are a great and mighty nation. At the same time, Ishmael was not completely void of God's blessing, as the Lord explained further. In Genesis 17, 20-21, As for Ishmael, I have heard you, because Abraham asked God to take care of Ishmael. And so he says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So two sons... Two mighty nations, just as God had promised. But what about the other promises? Number one, here's another promise. The promise for the land. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. Joshua 21, 43. That's when Joshua had led uh, those people went around the wilderness for 40 years with Moses. They all died in the wilderness. Their children had to be circumcised. They they go fight wars. They act in Jericho and other places, and they actually conquer the land. Joshua twenty one forty three. The Lord gave Israel all the land that He has sworn, all the land that He had promised Abraham. We see it come to fruition in Joshua twenty one forty three. The second promise, the promise to bless Abraham. I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. And he has become wealthy. That's Genesis 24, 34. The promise to make Abraham's name great. Abraham's name is indeed great as he is one of the most referenced Old Testament figures to appear in the New Testament scriptures. Second only to Moses. He is considered the patriarch of faith. Widely known as Father Abraham. Had many sons. But he's widely known as Father Abraham to Jews, to Christians, and to Muslims alike. And then there's the promise to bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham. This is seen in a few places throughout history. Consider the plagues on Pharaoh in Egypt as one example, or the fall of the ancient Babylonian, the, the Greek and the Roman empires. More than once, an empire opposed to Israel has crumbled. Uh, another promise that was made to Abraham was a blessing. To prom- the, the promise to make Abraham a blessing. 
Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced that the gospel in advance to Abraham. When he said, all nations will be blessed through you. Galatians 3.8, Paul uses. This is the genealogy of, of Jesus the Messiah, the son of Abraham, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Through Abraham, there is no greater blessing to the world than the birth of a Savior. Now, according to Galatians 3.29, all who become one with Christ are adopted into Abraham's family and are made heirs to the inheritance of eternal life, Hebrews 9.15. So, in other words, when we become Christians, when we're washing the blood of Jesus Christ, we, when we are obedient to the gospel, we become a part of Abraham's family and were made heirs to the inheritance of eternal life. Uh, and then he says God's promise, it points to Christ. Jesus is recorded in John 5, 39 in response to the Old Testament scriptures. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. The Apostle Paul even points out that scripture does not say to Abraham's seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Galatians 3, 16. So as we read the promise of God to Abraham, May we ever keep the bigger picture in mind, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. And so that I believe that article covers it really well about the promises of God made to Abraham and how Abraham saw those promises come to fruition. And even later on, uh, we continue to see those promises made to Abraham come to pass. And so after giving these Jewish Christians this one of the greatest examples that he could have chosen, he, he gives them this example of Abraham and how God gave promises to Abraham and how Abraham acted on faith and, 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 and never gave up. He endured. And, and because he endured and was faithful to God to the end, he received those promises. He, he saw those promises come to pass. And so after giving these Jewish Christians one of the greatest examples, if not the greatest example, of God keeping his promises because of Abraham enduring to the end, he reassures the readers that God not only made promises, but that God also made an oath. When he says, now when the people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold, it, hold them to it. Without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure, not, don't have to doubt it, but they could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it, it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us and he's become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So God kept his promises to Abraham and he will keep his promises to us. And that's what the Hebrew author is telling his readers. God kept his promises to Abraham who they highly respected, loved, and just thought so much of. And he's using them as a great example to these people how God gave these promises to Abraham. Abraham was faithful to the end and God came through 
with his promises. He kept his promises to Abraham. And he, he's saying he will keep them to you. And he will keep them to us today. Because God made an oath to himself. And God cannot lie. So when people ask, is there something that, is there anything that God cannot do? The answer is yes. He cannot lie. And therefore, since God has made an oath to himself and he cannot lie, he has given us a bunch of promises in his word. That's why it's so important to be students of the word and be reading his word so we can hear the promises of God and we can trust God that his promises are yes and amen because he cannot lie. And if you think about liars, liars are good at their game. They can come up with some crafty stories and make you believe those stories that can look you dead in the eyes. And we believe every word that comes out of their mouth, even though we know that they're lying. We can have the evidence in our hands and they can still convince us that they are not lying. They are good at their game. That's why Satan is called the father of lies. John 8, 44. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I will continue doing what I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false prophets. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. You think about it, there's all kinds of churches. There's all kinds of flavors out there today. And there's all kinds of false teaching out there today. And we have to be careful or we will be deceived. Because just like Satan had false prophets back then, when Paul was going around and Barnabas and these guys were going around starting these churches, and these false prophets would come in with these false teachings, we see it all over the place today. There's all kinds of false teaching out there. And, and, and look, don't, don't take what your preacher says for granted. Write it down. Go back and listen to it online. And make sure that what he is saying lines up with the Word of God. And if it does not line up with the Word of God, get out now. Do not go back. Find you another church that teaches and preaches the truth about Jesus. The devil is the father of all lies. That's all he knows to do. He lies all the time. And the reason why I bring this up and how liars are good at their game because Liars can make things sound so good and so and so right. But if it does not line up with the Word of God, it, 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 it's not truth. And if it's not truth, it's a lie. It's false. And that's all the devil knows how to do is lie and be false. God never lies. Let me repeat that. God never lies. He cannot lie. Which begs the question then, who are we listening to? Who are we listening to? Who is that voice inside of our head that we listen to? Is it God? Because if it's God, it's not going to go against His Word. Is it Satan? 
Because that's all Satan's going to do is get us to go against God's word. He wants us to sin. That's what sin is. It's Sin is simply going against God's will. What God wants us to do, what God tells us to do, and we don't do it, we do right the opposite, that is sin. And that's what Satan wants us to do. And so he's going to bring all these false teachings and try to get us to fall and try to get us to be discouraged and not practice our faith like Abraham did and putting how Abraham, uh, uh, he he had faith in, in this God that he couldn't see and, and he had these promises. And so then he tries to help God out by sleeping with uh, Sarah's handmaiden, uh, uh, Hagar, and has Ishmael and says, okay, God, here's your child. And God says, no, that, that's your plan, man. That, that's man's plan. That that's, that's not my plan at all. My plan is for you to have your own child. But God, I'm old. I, my wife has never had a child and she's beyond the childbearing years and god says your wife's going to have a child and abraham and sarah both laughed and and god says why are you laughing well we're not laughing yeah you are and then they wind up calling the son that was born to sarah a year later uh isaac which means he who laughs and so be careful that we're not following man's plan and that we're not listening to man And we're not listening to man's opinions, but we are listening to the Holy Spirit. And we are in God's word, listening to the voice of God speak to us through his word. And and whatever we hear, make sure that it lines up with the word of God. Since God has made an oath to himself, since he has given us promises and he cannot lie, we can have confidence in God. And that's exactly what the Hebrew, uh, the book of Hebrews was written to these people who have lost their confidence in God. They have lost their confidence in Jesus and their faith was beginning to waver. And so he says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so again, I, I just want you to listen how carefully the author chooses his words to encourage his readers who, because of persecution, their faith is wavering. They've lost confidence. And so he, he, he carefully chooses what he tells them. And he says, We who have fled to him for refuge... You came to Jesus for a reason. You fled to Jesus for a refuge. Yes, I know you're being persecuted, but don't leave the one that you have come to for refuge. We who have fled to him. We, and listen to how he says it. We fled to him. We didn't flee from him because of persecution. We fled to him as a refuge. Don't leave your refuge. Stay with your refuge. Oh, something's hard. Something's come in your life that's very difficult. You wasn't expecting it. God knows. He, he, is, he was expecting it. He's not caught by surprise. Not at all. He knew it was coming. And he knew you could handle it. So don't get mad at God and don't give up on God. Don't blame God for your struggles. Flee. Not from God, but to God. And that's why he, he, these people were fleeing from Jesus and going back into Judaism. And he's saying, 
We who have fled to him for refuge. He says, you've, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right person. Stay with him. And then he says, We who have fled to him for a refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Again, confidence in God, in Jesus. It was something that they were lacking because of this persecution. And so he is reassuring them that they can have great confidence in Jesus, their refuge. Why? Because of the hope they are waiting on, the hope of heaven and being with Jesus for eternity. But if they walk away from that, they, they, they walk away from their opportunity. The only Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If we walk away from Jesus, how are we getting into heaven? If he's the only way into heaven, and we could, and, and we do not continue to walk with Jesus, I can choose today to quit walking with Jesus if I want to. I have that option. God has given me that choice. And if I choose to walk away from Jesus, then my soul is in danger of not being with Jesus in eternity, uh, in heaven for eternity. That's just the bottom line. And that's why he's writing this letter to these people who are leaving Jesus. He's saying, stick with Jesus. Gain confidence in Jesus. Continue. Endure with Jesus. Why? Because You've got this great hope, this hope of heaven and being with Jesus for eternity. Don't give up on him now just because persecution has come along. And see, there, there, I briefly mentioned this hope in the last podcast, but this hope is not a hope like, well, I hope I make it to heaven. Well, I hope I have a grilled cheeseburger uh, at the end of the day. Well, you know, if I don't have any hamburger meat in my refrigerator or if I don't have buns, if I don't have cheese, then you know that's all I'm going to be doing is hoping. But if I know I have uh, buns, if I know I have meat, and I know I have cheese, guess what? I, I can go out there and fire up the grill and and make me a cheeseburger. Uh, it, it, this 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 hope that we have in Jesus, this hope that we have that when we take our last breath on this earth and we pass into eternity. If we die in Jesus, we know without a doubt where we're going. And we're going to be with Jesus, our Savior, for eternity in heaven. This hope is solid. We And, and this is what I said in the last podcast. We do not have a hope-so salvation. We have a no-so salvation. 1 John 5.13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Not that you, you hope that you have it, not that you think you may have it, but that you may know you have eternal life. We know heaven is waiting for us and we, we take our last breath on this earth because God has promised it to us and God cannot lie. His Son has paid our sin debt. Jesus has died on the cross for our sins and He was resurrected out of that tomb Three days later, and, and then 40 days later, he ascended to the Father, and he sat at the pow- it, 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 in power and authority and place of honor at the Father's right hand, making intercession for those who has accepted him as their Lord and Savior. And when we cross the finish line and we take our last breath on this earth and we enter into eternity, he will welcome us with open arms. The hope that the Hebrews author is referring to here is that the span of time that we live waiting 
for the promise to uh, the hope that the Hebrews author is referring to is that span of time that we live waiting for the promise to come to fruition. And he says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Well, what does an anchor do? An anchor is, is a very heavy object that keeps you drop the anchor in the water and it keeps the boat still it keeps the boat from drifting off and that's what exactly what these he accuses these Jewish Christians of doing he talks about them drifting off and he's saying drop the anchor this anchor of hope it, it it's it's a solid anchor drop it down and and and, and stay afloat don't drift away and 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 don't lose confidence Remain in Jesus. And this hope that we have in Jesus, this hope that we have to be with Him in heaven for eternity, it is an anchor to the soul. And He's trying again to encourage them to stay with Jesus and not go back into Judaism. And He encourages them to drop the anchor. Like Vanderbilt says, what's their slogan? Anchor down. He's trying to get them to anchor down, to stay where they are, to continue loving one another, and to continue meeting people's needs because in the end, it's all going to be worth it. No matter, no matter how many times they're put in jail, no matter how bad they're beaten, even if they were to lose their lives, I mean, don't threaten me with heaven is, one, is something one of my, uh, a preacher that I used to sit under when I was a teenager, I remember him saying that all the time, don't threaten me with heaven. You know, and so if we take our last breath because of persecution, it's a win-win because we get to go on and be with Jesus. So everything that we endure in this life, as long as we stick it out with Christ until the very end, it's all going to be worth it. And so this hope, this anchor for the soul, this promise of being with Jesus in heaven he says it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so he, what he's doing here is, is he's making a reference to the temple which was still standing at this point. It's going to be torn down not too long uh, from when this letter was written because the, the Romans come in and destroy Jerusalem because the, the, the Jews revolt against the Roman authorities and they come in and they and they they burn it down in 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 the temple just like jesus said would be destroyed and not one stone would be left upon another even to this day there's nothing left of that building it's just a pile of rubble and and now that you know uh, the muslims uh temple is built on top of it the only thing left is part of the western wall which we call the wailing wall and, and, and that's not even part of the temple. That's part of the, the fence or whatever gate, whatever you want to call it, that, that, that surrounded the temple. Um, but anyway, uh, he's making reference to the temple. And he's saying, remember, uh, when Je well, I'm saying, uh, when Jesus died, there was a curtain uh, that separated man from God. Uh, in the holiest of holies, remember the and even in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Then when Solomon built the the temple in the New Testament, and then even in the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament temple, there was a a veil uh, that kept 
God, where um, you would have um, the mercy seat that represented God uh, on one side of the curtain, and the priest would come in and do his. They would make his sacrifices. He'd burn his incense, and then he could go into the presence of God only after making a sacrifice for himself. He would be able to go through that veil, through that curtain, into the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was literally torn from top. To bottom, as if God had taken that big, thick curtain and just said, "I'm ripping this this barrier. I, it, it is now gone. It's signifying that we now have direct access to God because of what Jesus has done on the cross by shedding His blood. And that's what He says in the book of Hebrews: "Let us come boldly before the throne of grace, so we can find help in the time." of need so how how is that for giving these people and us some confidence some great confidence knowing that jesus has already gone there before us and he is our high priest that makes intercession for us he is sitting literally sitting at the right hand of the father making intercession for his people those of us who are washed in his blood yes we still sin but jesus says hey nope I pay the price for them, Father. They are forgiven. Therefore, with that great confidence and that great hope, they and we can have full confidence that we will receive the promises of God and we will be in heaven when we cross the finish line and our race is over. But here's the thing. To, be, to, to, to win the race, you've got to be in the race. You can never win a race that you're not in. You can watch them on TV all day long. Doesn't make you a winner. You got to be literally in the race. And the only way to be in this race is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Have you ever made that decision? Have you ever confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior with your mouth? Have you ever been baptized in a watery grave and come out a new creation filled with God's Holy Spirit? If you haven't, you need to make that decision today before it's eternally too late if you have made that decision and you have given your life to jesus then let me ask you this how is your confidence in jesus are you still running every day with jesus or has your confidence like these these people in the book of hebrews has it wavered has it kind of faded away and now other things have caught your attention and jesus is somewhere off in the far distance have you withdrawn from the race. There's things that runners will be running the race. You know, or, or, or you think about NASCAR and that people wreck all the time or have a flat tire. There's things that affect the race and they, they, they don't finish the race because of injury or whatever, a wreck. That's what Satan does, the father of all lies. He throws these fiery darts at us. He comes against us with discouragement. Anything that he can to knock us off our game. And he's trying to get us to say, game over. I'm taking my joystick back and I'm playing my own game. I don't need you, God. That's, that's exactly what Satan wants. And that's what's going on here in the book of Hebrews. And so this author is trying to get them to focus on Jesus and stay with Jesus and to keep on doing what they're doing. And I just want to know what has happened in your life that has caused you to lose your confidence and your great hope in Jesus. I mean, what's, what's worth 
losing our soul over? Where do we go if we turn away from God? Where do we go if we turn away from Jesus? Where do we go if we just say, I don't need you anymore in my life? There's nowhere else to go. He is our refuge. And so I just want to encourage you to, if, if, something, if you're going through something, if you've gone through something, if you've been discouraged and you've lost confidence in Christ, in God, find it. Get back in God's Word and, and pray. Tell Him how you feel. If you're, if you're mad at Him, let Him know it. He already knows anyway. You're not going to make Him mad. You're not going to surprise Him. Just talk to Him about it. Tell Him what's made you mad, what's upset you, what's hurt, what's hurting. And if you would just share your feelings with Him, I promise you, it's going to be all right. He will understand. As a matter of fact, He's going to come and rescue you. He's going to help. And if we can help you in any way, Email us and let us know, thegroundedpodcast at gmail.com, and we would gladly pray with you. But it's all about enduring. Don't give up on God. Don't quit the race. Keep grinding. That's what we're all about here with the Grinded Podcast. That is our theme. You keep grinding and do not give up. We are here to encourage you in any way that we possibly can can keep loving people and keep meeting the needs of others because one day you'll be glad you did god bless you thank you for listening today i can't wait to meet with you again as we cover hebrews chapter 7 and remember god loves you we love you don't give up and keep grinding thank you for listening to the grinded podcast today may god bless you if you have any comments or questions, you can email them to us at thegrinditpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like Randy to come and speak at your church or your next event, you can contact him through that same email address. Also, I would like to thank Jody Foster's Army, also known as JFA, for their song, Abba, as we use for our intro and our outro off their untitled 1984 album. May God bless you, and remember, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep grinding.